This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. See you, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I like your choice in, in attire. Great shirt, hat. <laughs> Perfect. I feel right at home. Yeah, <laughs> man. I tell you what, it's been uh it's been crazy here the last couple of days and uh you know with everything that's going on for sure. So yeah, it's good to just uh, kind of yeah. just relax, not worry about having to shave too much. Just uh I think it's actually <laughs> it's actually like no shave month or Mo- something. Mo- Movember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I see you got yeah. it going on. Yeah, I, I'm trying to start it, up, um, but yeah, I think I think November is just the mustache, which I can't pull off. I look like uh, I look pretty creepy with just the mustache. So yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the full beard for the month. <laughs> I had that like way long ago, and of course back then I had no business growing a mustache, and it looked more like chocolate milk on the lips or a porn stash. <laughs> I I didn't know which That's at the right. time frame. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know which yeah. one I wanted to claim. I'm really looking forward to getting into this topic. Um, there are all kinds of different reasons why people get into the topic that we're going to tackle today. So sure. uh, first off, let me just say, John, how much I appreciate you joining the uh, the show. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. I think it's uh, I think, it, like you said, it is a topic that uh, needs to be shared more often, more openly. So that's yeah. uh, that. It's my honor to be here with you today, so thanks. You know, I know that you're a Navy SEAL. The people that are going to be listening are going to be hearing about that, but that's not your humble beginnings. You actually came into, um, as an enlisted sailor, into the Navy. That's right, yeah. So enlisted in 1996 to, to be a parachute rigger. Uh, I was told by my recruiter that as a parachute rigger that I'd be able to jump out of airplanes, <laughs> and that never happened. Uh, really? What I did was I learned how yeah, <laughs> I learned how to pack shoots, um, or at least never happened while I was in that line of work. Yeah, um, learn how to pack shoots and then work on ejection seats. Uh, the technical term for parachute rigger in the Navy is air crew survival equipment man. So I was responsible for maintaining all the survival equipment that goes into an ejection seat on the F-18 um, to include like the water, the the knives, the hook knives. Uh, all the survival equipment, um, and then obviously the parachute that goes into the ejection seat, because that is definitely the first piece that is critical for for, for survival. Um, and then I went from uh, I went from there into the Naval Academy. I got picked up for an employment uh, out of the enlisted ranks to to attend the Naval Academy, and then from there 
went into the SEAL community. So when you were a pararigger, and of course in the Army, by the way, you get a chance to actually jump because they want to make no. sure that you understand, yeah, what what it is that you're packing and you got to be willing to do it. I think uh, that's great. I yeah. Think that's how it should be. I love the fancy name that you guys come up with. In the Navy. <laughs> um, so anyway. Well, get... we've, we've got we've got, uh, we've got a term of endearment for it as well. So the, the parachute riggers, they learn how to sew a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Um, they, their their term their name uh, in amongst the the crew is stitch and then a word that rhymes with stitch that begins with b uh, so, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay i'm with you uh so you yeah. know when it was time for you or when you considered going to the naval academy was this something that you wanted to do coming like out of high school and just didn't get the opportunity or is this something that really you didn't think about until you after you got in no, you're spot on with that first piece. I, I tried to get into the Naval Academy out of high school. I had had a friend uh, that had joined the Naval Academy, and uh, and he had kind of paved that path and was telling me all the great things about about going. And uh, and I'd, I'd set my sights on joining the Navy, and I wanted to become an officer, and I wanted to be, become a SEAL. And then he told me about the Naval Academy, and I learned a lot more about the service academies. And uh, and decided hey i want to go that route got to turn down as a senior coming out of high school and then said you know what well that piece of the puzzle didn't work out i'm going to go after still becoming a seal uh enlisted did the parachute rigger thing put my application in to go to seal training and then while i was waiting on that packet to come back ended up getting picked up for the naval academy so what happened then, you know did your packet ever get returned to you saying yay or nay regarding the seal teams no, it did not. Okay. No, I mean, I take I taken the physical test. Uh, so, you know, it was just a matter of time. Yeah. At the time, uh, you know, there was no guarantee to go to, to SEAL training out of the enlisted ranks um, unless you showed up at uh, boot camp with a uh, with a contract, which I did not. Um, so um, I was just kind of playing the waiting game. And while I was playing that waiting game, I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to apply for the Naval Academy again. And then, uh, and then got a, a secretary of the the Navy nomination, and then received the appointment subsequently. How how does the Naval Academy, especially you know your peer group and stuff, how do they perceive you guys? Because it's a relatively small number that come in as former enlisted personnel. Do they kind of lean on you and think, "Oh my God, okay, at least you've already been there. You can give me a little bit of the ropes yeah. and pick your brain." Or are you seen as somebody that's more of, hey, man, you had your, your path, you chose it, and you know, <laughs> now you wanted to come to this side, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely more of the former. At least um, that's what I perceived it to be. Maybe it was more of the latter, <laughs> but the, the way I perceived it uh, was, hey, we were all called priors, so yeah. as, as, as though we had had prior service. And, I mean, even, even people who had just gone and served, you know, a few months and gotten in picked up from the enlisted ranks at least they'd gone through boot camp so they had the initial indoctrination sure um, so they had an idea of you know how to do you know some drill how to make your racks how to carry a rifle that kind of thing um so there was the military bearing piece that you knew the military rank structure at least you know i'd come from the navy ranks so i knew the navy ranks um if i i'm sure if i'd come from a different service then it would be completely different because the navy ranks are out there yes both on the officer and enlisted side yeah but, but uh <laughs> but uh but yeah uh, it's definitely it was 
I think it set me up for success having had that enlisted experience prior to. And then um, of my roommates at the Naval Academy through the four years that I was there, several of them were prior enlisted as well. And we kind of had this group. It wasn't a formal group, but it was a, uh, a group of uh, guys and gals that had had prior enlisted experience. And we we all looked at each other with a, a like a level of respect. Um, hey, you, you know, whether you had gone to the Naval Academy or not, you were going to serve your country. Yeah. And uh, I think that says a lot about a person. So, and well, I think for you, um, I would imagine, and, and also the guys that were with you that had been prior service, uh, at least have gone through boot camp and all of that, there was a sense of pride of not wanting to quit, I would imagine, going through yeah. this. Because, I mean, you know, you've already seen, you know, boot camp and stuff. So, whatever they're throwing at you here outside of education, you guys should be able to muster. You should be able to handle. And yeah. I could totally see me not wanting to let myself down. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, that, that I think anybody that's going to apply to the Naval Academy, I think they've got that kind of inherently ingrained in them, but that is just honed. If, if you do happen to go through the enlisted ranks first, or not through the enlisted ranks, but the enlisted route first, um, I think that's just honed and polished. And then when you show up at the Naval Academy, you're, you're that much better prepared or any service academy for that matter, you know, the, going to West Point, the Air Force Academy from the enlisted sure. ranks of that respective service, 100 percent, you're going to be that much more prepared and have that much more grit and resilience going through. So when you come out of the Naval Academy um, and you get the option to select what your career field is going to be at that time frame, you were able to choose SEAL? I was, yeah. Uh, fortunately enough, I'd... Um, kind of surrounded myself with other guys who were wanting to go that route and we worked out together um, we studied together we, we did a lot together and that brotherhood was essentially established before we ever got selected to go seals back then at the time it was 16 per graduating class that were selected to go and we had about 50 or so by the time it came to, to choose what it was we wanted to do that wanted to go. Um, those 16 guys, we had pretty good success from my graduating class going through SEAL training. And then there were others who, from that 50, who had to go and do something else first. So I was fortunate enough to go straight into SEAL training from the Naval Academy. But I had, I had brothers who went surface warfare or Marine Corps and then transferred into the SEALs afterwards. Um, but they were, you know, higher rank coming into the SEALs, higher rank, but less knowledge of the SEAL community, which puts them somewhat at a disadvantage. They, they overcome that pretty quickly, but uh, it puts them at somewhat of a disadvantage. The guy that went to the academy before you, he had probably at this point outranked you because he was ahead of you in class and everything. So what was it his career, Phil? What did, what did he end up going into? Uh, which which guy in particular? The guy that just, yeah, the guy that went off uh, from high school uh, went to the oh Naval yeah Academy. yes yeah so yeah sorry that's right uh, yeah so he is still in um, good and I still remain good friends with him um, he's actually a SEAL team commander right okay. now not not rank I mean both rank and position he's the commanding officer of a SEAL team and a uh, Navy SEAL commander still um, and I'm sure he's going to continue to go on through the ranks he's a he's a hard 
hard dude so yeah so take me through you go into buds and everything were you allowed to go right in or was there a period of time before you had to wait and attend buds yeah yeah so you select your class Mm -hmm. um once you decide hey i'm going to go seals they offer you like okay coming from the naval academy in class of 2001 which is my graduating class they're like these are the classes that you have available and we ended up with like five five and five or so spread across three classes so 15 or 16 guys um and then um those classes obviously are set on a schedule my class was originally class 238 which was supposed to class up in june or july of 2001 i graduated in may of 2001 so there was a little bit of a, a holding pattern that we were put into which was great because all we did was work out together like the those guys we we ended up getting an apartment i think there were five or six of us living in a small apartment uh literally living on the the mattresses on the floor and waking up to go to the pool in the morning early in the morning do some swimming come home eat then go run somewhere come home eat and go to the yeah. gym it was ridiculous uh i mean it, they it, they set us up for success going yeah. into into buds so. Yeah, so you ended up going into the June class then for yeah okay so yeah you... it, it starts so when I say classed up it was really a, what's called PTR or pre training and rest and recuperation I probably screwed that acronym up but PTRR is like the the first hey we're going to take you into the training but you're not going to officially start class until later so you you again spend more time on the obstacle course but you're actually out there in coronado so you're spending more time on the obstacle course you're spending time swimming spending time running spending time being brutalized and then and then the class i think the class that class 238 officially started buds phase 1 there's three phases it started phase 1 um, in the beginning of October. Um, and then I, I got rolled day one, uh, fell off the slide for life, coughed up blood, found out I had pneumonia and I got rolled into class two, three, nine, which started the following January. So January, 2002, I started, uh, with, with buds class two, three, nine, went through a winter hell week and then graduated, uh, in buds, uh, June of 2002. So you were there 9-11. What was that like being in BUDS and what kind of information was actually shared with you guys in, in that time frame? Yeah, I was. And that's, man, every, t- every time 9-11 anniversary comes around, that's exactly what pops into my mind. So um, we had run to the Chow Hall. That's what uh, the, the Chow Hall is across the street there at the Naval Amphibious Base in Coronado. And you, you run um, every day to and from Chow three, three or four times a day, depending on what phase of training you're in. But I remember running to the chow hall and everybody was gathered around the TV and it, you know, it was the first plane that had hit a uh, second plane hadn't hit yet just yet. So we thought it was a complete accident. And then we saw the second plane hit live and we're like, okay, you know, something is <laughs> something yeah. is just like everybody else in the world. But that's, that's where I was. I was in the chow hall at buds. And then <clears throat> I remember them running us back from that, that meal the instructors were like dead silent and they had us go out to the beach and muster around this podium that was on the beach by the pull-up bars and by the ropes there uh, where we do our outside workouts. And uh, one of the instructors came out and uh, he's like, gents, we're under attack and, and you guys are going to be eventually, assuming you make it through this training, you're going to be at the tip of the spear. 
and you guys are going to be bringing it to this enemy. And at the time, and we, we had no idea who had even done it, right? But we knew that it was an attack against the United States, and we knew that we were going to eventually end up on the pointy end of the spear against that enemy. And uh, then, they, then they locked down the base. They had guys walking around with locked and loaded M4s ready to go. Uh, the security coming on and off base was ridiculous. Um, so, buds, you can actually leave uh, base. It's not like ranger school where you're there the whole time through the weekends and everything. We were we were allowed to leave on the weekends, um, and getting back in on Monday morning was ridiculous. Especially if you have a you know a four o'clock workout, you're like, okay, <laughs> I better wake up at two o'clock just to get through the traffic. So. It wasn't even worth leaving on the weekends uh, immediately after 9-11. But, yeah, uh, I sure was there, 9-11, and uh, the world has changed since then, huh? Yeah, most definitely. So June of 2002, you had a lot more information at that time frame as to who did what and what's going on <laughs> and, you know, a lot of activity uh, going you know, through the pipe and everything. So when, when you actually pinned on the Trident and everything, what was the SEAL team that you got assigned to and what was kind of going through your head at that point, knowing everything that's going on and what you're getting ready to get yourself into? Yeah, so at the time... Uh, when I came into SEAL training prior to 9-11, I'd always wanted to be one of the guys doing the SEAL delivery vehicle team mission because it's very unique. Nobody else does it. And the missions that we do are secret squirrel stuff that nobody reads about in the newspapers. Sure, sure. And uh, then 9-11 hit, uh, and I still wanted to do that. So I, I ended up going to SEAL delivery vehicle team two, um, and, you know, looking back on it, I don't know if it was necessarily the best decision because I, I wanted, I wanted to get into combat and fight the enemy and bring it to them because they had brought it to us here on American soil. And mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, then I ended up being an SDV team too, and not being able to do an SDV mission. Um, so ended up getting attached or detached from SDV team two and attached to seal team 10 and went off to Afghanistan and did did the land missions there, um, attached to, to them. So that's where I started my my career. SDV Team Two. Soon after I left that command, was um, decommissioned, and then mm. they only had, they only had the one SDV team out in Hawaii. And then just recently, within the last year or so, they recommissioned SDV Team Two out on the East Coast. Uh, to continue doing the missions, the secret squirrel stuff that they do, yeah, and they're and and they're doing great stuff that this country doesn't even know about, and it's uh it's definitely keeping us safe and sound over here. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Of course, you know there are worse places to be than Hawaii. Although I know <laughs> that a lot of people who have been assigned there and everything always talk about how you get rock fever for you know at least for some after a period yeah. of time. But yeah, um, I I could yeah. see that be a really cool assignment. Yeah, just to be clear, SDV Team 2 is in Little Creek, but SDV Team 1, yeah, they're in Hawaii, and, and there's guys clamoring to get that that mission because, yeah, yeah sure, it, it's great great to be on Hawaii, but those guys also pay the man because they do a lot of their dive training, dive training in Washington State, and that is not oh. warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much different water temperatures for sure. Yeah, 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 much, much different. So, okay, you go off the SEAL team, and um, at that time frame, I guess it, that's where you did uh, some deployments, and 
you know, what was it like for you as far as being a member of a SEAL team and actually getting to take the fight to the enemy as you were, you know, being trained to do and talked about during BUDS, you know, they talked to you about, was it everything that you expected? <laughs> uh, there was a lot more um, planning and administrative stuff that goes into it. Uh, what kind of what we joke is, uh, forgive my language, but there's a lot of ass pain for the fun that we have. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I fully believe that that's true. Uh, a lot of PowerPoints, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls to go out and make a mission happen, getting the logistics behind it, getting the support, getting the assets in the air, the air assets, the fire assets, everything set up to, to actually conduct a mission takes a lot. Um, but then once you're out there, uh, I will admit it's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's scary uh, at times, and and I think that you can have both at the same time, fun and and being being scared. Um, and then there's obviously the the aspect of of taking another human being's life that is that in and of itself is scary. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that I don't think you can properly prepare for mentally until it until it actually happens that's a great point and i think that there, actually there's two great points there and i kind of teed you up for the first part of that being administrative uh because i think so many guys you know listen to these types of podcasts and they hear the cool guy stuff and you know that's what they're they're thinking that they're getting into but there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of things that go on that are not sexy and not shown in these videos with the cool music and everything else that goes on and i think you 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 certainly shared that but then there's also the other side of it that anybody that's gone to combat and actually experienced it you expressed it there in that back end and that um it's not also like playing a video game in playstation and xbox they're still human you know, yep. and and that uh, does take a toll on individuals over time. Absolutely, the the moral injury that comes with taking a, another human being's life uh, is is real. Um, and and even those um, who don't experience it right off the bat, because you know the op tempo is so high, eventually they they come back and they deal with it. You know, and they deal with it in different ways. Some of them deal with it very well, and they process it and just get get go go on with their lives other ones come back and practice very destructive behaviors mm -hmm. um both for themselves or their families and their loved ones but you're going to have to process it like my, much like you mentioned it's not like playing xbox or playstation where the enemy just respawns i mean once once yeah. they're done done yeah and the same same thing for your your brothers in arms yeah. brothers and sisters in arms when they're done they're done too they're not respawning and that's another completely different aspect that uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I took for granted. I was like, "Hey, we're seals. We're like invincible." And then my first deployment was the the Red Wings uh, Lone Survivor deployment, where where we ended up losing 19 people. Uh, you know, three guy, three seals on the ground, and another another 11 seals uh, in the aircraft, and then, uh, or sorry, another eight seals on, in the aircraft, and another eight army night stalkers. Um, and that was a piece that I was completely not prepared for. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's real, it's real life out there. Um, and that was what the instructors were trying to prepare us for mentally when they stood up on that podium on nine 11 and said, look, you're going to be on that pointy end of the spear. Well, we were, um, and that pointy on the spear comes with casualties. So, 
And, you know, you talked about how people process it differently. I think um, there's even been some studies about, you know, potentially doing research prior to individuals joining the service, especially special operations, where they can calculate maybe with a higher probability of individuals who may be more susceptible to post-traumatic stress um, and or difficulty and depression and those types of things because of having to deal with combat situations. And people, like you said, process things differently. You'll hear some people right. that, you know, try to um, state that they don't have any effects from post-traumatic stress, yet they may be showing signs of alcoholism. Um, they're on their third wife. You know, they're, you know, they're, there's so many different um paths that you see individuals taking that are very destructive, maybe to the people around them and maybe not to themselves that they don't realize. And so, you know, it's trying to understand that and realize that it's not a weakness too. I think for an individual to show that you're dealing with those types of feelings when you return back home, you know, you may have um, you know, high anxiety, or you may still be in fight or flight mode. You may be, you know, um, also somebody who's dealing with the emotions and the struggles of what you just experienced. Each person is going to deal with those things very differently. Right. A hundred percent. And and I think you hit on a great point there in, in saying that when you realize that you're experiencing these traumatic effects or the effects post-trauma and i don't want to say post-traumatic stress but the whatever however it is you deal with it once you realize that you are it's not only not a weakness in realizing that you're going through something like this but it's a strength and then furthermore seeking support when you need it that's a strength leaning on your friends leaning on your family if those aren't you know resources for you then seeking out professional support counselors psychologists psychiatrists um social workers finding those resources because ultimately that's going to make you a better warrior because if you if you continue to suppress these emotions eventually they're going to bubble to the surface and you're going to have to you're going to have to process them in some way so why not process them in the most healthy way to make you the best warrior to make you the best man woman to make you the best husband husband wife just person yeah so well, I, I think, think it's, it's, a, people- it's strength I think it's people like you, though, John, honestly, that are um, and there are many like you that especially are more now probably considered the gray beards, people who spent 20 plus years, spent a lot of time, you know, out there um, giving it to the fight. And now you're trying to explain that to the younger generation that we've got to break the stigma and especially to command. Uh, about, you know, these types of things that you're going to end up dealing with, the emotions and all of that. And a lot of people don't want to show that weakness because they're afraid they're going to let their brothers and sisters down, right? Right. And and, and yet what you're you're pointing to is, no, that's not a weakness. It's it's a strength. I mean, the, the, there's multiple fears and there's stigmas that surround seeking mental health support. One is, hey, Am I going to get kicked out of the military? Yep. Maybe I'm going to lose my security clearance. Yep. I don't want to appear. I don't want to appear as weak. And I think that yeah, we graybeards are starting to change that narrative. But it's also it's trickling down. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Navy. I don't know what the other services have, but the Navy has a warrior toughness program now at boot camp. Where, uh, funny enough, it sounds like the the beginning of a bad joke, but a SEAL, a chaplain, and a psychologist. <laughs> that together. does sound like a <laughs> yeah. They, they, they came they came together to put put together this program. Yeah, uh, actually a seal seal that I was at seal team ten with, um, Steve Drummond 
or Steve Drum, sorry, um, he he helped to put it together and um, mental resilience, meditation, mindfulness, which I know we're going to get into later. That's a pillar of this warrior toughness, um, and it's preparing the the new generation of sailors for what it is they're going to face, and it's going to give them the tools prior to their experiencing these tough times so that when they do that they're more resilient and i think that's a great way to that the navy is going about preparing those sailors for the future kudos to the navy i think that there's something that we've talked about um not just in terms of what we're, we're discussing here but even transition that we've said in the very beginning that you've got to start preparing individuals from the very beginning you can't do it after the effect and hope that it's going to take you know you, yeah. you've got to prepare these individuals for what they're going to be experiencing the or potentially experiencing in the future and again every person is going to be different within the room that you're expressing that to but if you at least right. give them the tools and the understanding, they're going to be able to cope and deal with that much better. And the nucleus and the, the family, the friends and stuff that are around them are going to also be a part of that and understand what you're dealing with when you come back home. Uh, 100%. That's, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. And, and the analogy that I kind of use is, you know, we don't we don't allow people to show up to Bud's physically in bad shape and then expect them to run around with a log on their head or a boat on their head and 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 be fine mm -hmm. but we somehow expect somebody to experience something emotionally difficult emotionally challenging and be fine no what we need to do is prepare them emotionally and mentally for those challenges that we know they're going to have in the military if it's not in the military then it's going to be somewhere along in life challenges are going to come our way it's a, it's some part of the human experience yeah. so why not give them the tools to better prepare them for that so take me through in a kind of a quick snapshot before we get into how individuals can you know deal or one of the things that you know you guys have talked about here in terms of mental resilience and mindfulness and meditation in a quick snapshot what was your career like after you know because um, you spent 20 plus years total within the Navy, you know, were you on multiple SEAL teams and mm -hmm. what rank did you achieve and that type of thing? So individuals kind of understand, you know, where, where was it that you landed? Sure. So I went from SDV team two uh, on the East coast in Little Creek, Virginia, out to San Diego, back to the, the West Coast where the amphibious base is out there in Coronado, yep. uh, and was there as the, the operations officer for Special Boat Team 12, which is another piece of Naval Special Warfare. So you've got the SEALs, and then you've got the Special Warfare Combatant Craft crewmen, who are called the SWIC. Mm -hmm. they're, they're underneath Naval Special Warfare. So as the operations officer, I helped to manage a, a Special Boat Team. Uh, from there, I uh, bounced up to Monterey for a stint, got my master's degree, and then went to SOCOM uh, out in Tampa, back to the East Coast to SEAL Team 10, and uh, and did some time there. Then out to Bahrain, did a, a stint as the executive officer for Naval Special Warfare Unit in Bahrain, then came back to Naval Special Warfare Group 4, which is the group level above the special boat teams. So uh, I've got a, uh, the, the SWICs and the special boat teams are near and dear to my heart because I spent a lot of time with them in my career. And they are true professionals and uh, also a hard, a hard, bunch of, uh, hard bunch of men. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, um, so that was, uh, was kind of my career. Um, 
from from Naval Special Warfare Group 4. While I was there, I put on the rank of commander, or 05. Again, the Navy's ranks are a little weird, and, and I'm sure I am not the first Navy person you've ever interviewed. But for those <laughs> listening, um, it, the, the Navy has different ranks than the, than the other services. So 05, commander. Um, ended up having uh, my, my daughter while I was at Naval Special Warfare Group 4, and she had some health complications that um, didn't necessitate me taking a different track, but I requested to take a different track. And then I went into uh, what we call in the Navy full-time support. So it's the side of the, the, the reserve force that supports the reserves. So it gets the reserves ready to mobilize. So you're still working full-time, but you're, you're a reservist. Um, so did that for the last few years of my naval career and then uh, and then got out just here this last August. But prior to getting out, uh, starting in, in November of last year, I actually got connected with Veterans Path, the nonprofit that I work for now, teaching mindfulness and meditation to veterans. Um, and I did that as an internship uh, through the SOCOM Care Coalition Fellowship. But the reason I got involved with them, even why I got involved with meditation and mindfulness in the first place, was going back, way back to the, the beginning of my first deployment, that Red Wings operation, um, because I'd lost uh, friends um, and because I felt a huge amount of survivor guilt with that. Hey, why wasn't I on that operation? Why did they die? And why am I here? What purpose am I here to serve? That that was with me throughout my naval career and it caused me a lot of stress and anxiety and, and quite honestly depression and i didn't even know that it was survivor guilt that i was dealing with and it eventually because i was told that i need to seek counseling and i i sought the counseling and one of the uh one of the counselors was recommended mindfulness and meditation to me and uh long story short it, it helped me more than anything else did and i feel that it talking about that survivor guilt and what's my purpose for for being here i feel my purpose is to help the the transitioning service members or veterans develop their practice of mindfulness and meditation because it does help with that resilience it does help with stress and anxiety but it also helps you to just enjoy a richer life so yeah. uh, it's probably not the the typical or it's not it's not probably, I know it's not the typical path for a SEAL when he gets out, but that's what I'm doing now. No, but I do know, you know, there's Beneath the Surface Foundation, which is an organization founded by um, someone who is also a co-host on this podcast on occasion, and that's Matt. And he and his fiance, um, he dealt with this post-traumatic stress by getting on the water and yeah. using meditation and yoga and breathing techniques and right. he's applying those same principles today and so yeah that you're finding a lot more i know someone who was in recon in the marines is doing the exact same thing uh, you're finding more and more people are looking for outlets outside of opiates and in other medication right. and alcohol to find relief for them you know their their um depression um, anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress. There are different labels that you can put on it. And for some, it's even traumatic brain injury, <clears throat> excuse right. me, that's manifesting itself into some way, um, you know, that's causing concern and stuff in, in their family life, at work, whatever the case may be. And so I think this is a very relevant discussion yes. we're about I, to have. And I love hearing that it is getting uh, more notoriety, more acceptance in the military community. And I know Matt, and 
yeah, we, we spoke uh, probably a year and a half ago, just when I was starting this journey. Uh, it's been a while, but yeah, he's, he's doing great things with Beneath the Surface. You know, I think so many guys look at things like meditation and yoga, um, you can call it mindfulness and, you know, whatever label that you want to put on it. And they think it's kind of hokey pokey. It's out there and it's not something I'm doing uh, I'm, or I'm interested in doing yet. I do know a lot of guys on teams and SF and everything in the army that are also starting to practice this very same thing and pararescuemen who understand that if you can control your breathing and you can control your thoughts pattern and everything prior to ever going into that mission and you work on those types of things, you're going to be more laser focused. So let's get into a little bit about that. You're spot on in that. Um, it does address what I talked about earlier in stress, anxiety, depression, but it also helps you to perform better. So if you're doing it regularly, you're tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system more regularly and you're preparing your brain and the, the, the whole, all that neural network for getting into the red. You're going to get into the red when you get out on, on the combat, on the battlefield. Um, but if you are able to focus your breathing your amygdala, if you've regularly trained it when you're not on the battlefield, right now you've trained it, you're going to respond rather than reacting, and you may make a better decision out on the battlefield. You may not shoot when you when you don't need to, so that you know things don't escalate to a point that they don't need to. You may see things more clearly because your physiology is allowing you to adapt to the battlefield. Literally your pupils aren't as dilated. You're seeing things more clearly. Um, so that there, there's definitely benefits to practicing, um, as a warrior. I mean, these were aren't ancient warrior practices and somewhere along the line, they got twisted into, Oh, that's something flowery, something for the weak of mind. It's not, not anything I want to do. And I'll be a hundred percent honest when, that counselor re originally recommended to me. I was like, what? I'm not a hippie. Come on. That's, that's not something for me. I, I want right. to go out and uh, I'm a warrior, I want to damn it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but he, he twisted it on me and showed me, Hey, look, here's some very high performing individuals. Here's the history of it. Here's the, you know, the Spartans, the samurais practiced a form of it prior to going on the battlefield. Why wouldn't you want to? Uh, so I tried it out and sure enough, um, here I am, because uh, I fully believe not only does it help with the stress and anxiety and depression, but it does make you a better performer on or off the battlefield with your families. You're going to enjoy your time with them more. It's going to be richer. You're going to experience it instead of just going through it. So, How do you present it then to somebody you know that may be listening or that you're now uh, trying to educate for the very first time who's listening to it and saying the same thing that you did you know back those many years? How is it that you're trying to get that point across and how are you introducing it as a new way to, um, to help them, aid them either now or in the future? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First off, um, I, I'm, I'm still a SEAL at heart. And I think that, uh, you know, having that military background, I can relate to my, my fellow veterans, my fellow, my fellow special operators. Um, and I think that's important that in and of itself, and it's not lost on me at all, that that opens doors, opens people's minds that normally wouldn't be open to it. If I showed up 
and I was wearing a whole bunch of necklaces and had long hair and, and was talking about, I don't know, smoking ganja or something, then, then I may not get the acceptance that I'm getting now. Um, and then, and then the other side of it is I, I present the performance enhancement first to somebody that I think is going to be skeptical rather than saying, Hey, why don't you sit down and, and meditate and practice mindfulness? I'm like, Hey man, I've learned this performance enhancing practice and it's going to help you to be more focused on the battlefield. It's going to help you to be more productive at work. It's going to help you to be sharper. Um, then they're like, oh, yeah, well, tell me more. And yeah. like, well, here's, here's what you do. Just focus on your breathing. And I don't even tell them that they're doing mindfulness. Just focus on your breathing, and I'll run them through a drill. And I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, you just you just meditated. And they're like, no way, man, really? That, that was medicine? I'm like, yeah, see, it's not as it's not as woo-woo as everyone thinks it is. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's how I, I sell it. I mean, a, a couple ways. One, I couch it under different terms. Um, and sell it to them under the performance enhancement moniker initially. Yeah, those other things are byproducts that you're going to feel, and you're going to feel a lot better. And then the uh, the the other side is that I still feel that I'm a warrior, and I can relate to my fellow warriors, whether they're special operators, whether they're veterans now, whether they're men or females. Um, I, I feel that having gone through the military experience we can all relate to one another really well. And we don't think about it, that it's something that we really should have in our everyday life. I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. There are times where I need to do more of that. I actually, um, I know you got into yoga as well. Yeah. Um, and I think as we get older, it's probably something that we should do all along. Um, yet we don't tend to do it until we're broke and we're trying to find ways that <laughs> right. we, since we can't lift the weights and do all the things heavy like we used to do, well, what are some other ways that I can make sure I stay fit? And yet yoga is one of those things that, you know, elongates, stretches the muscles, does the types of conditioning and training and toning that can complement and help support even those lifts and those, you know, those other things that you're doing in your training cycle added as part of your regimen. And right. I think that's something that you, you also, um, have learned and, and started teaching as well. Right. I, I don't do the teaching of the yoga, but I've absolutely learned that. And it's, you know, I, I also there with the yoga went into it. Hey, this is going to help me physically feel better. Right. And, uh, and what I've found is yes, it absolutely does do that, but it also mentally, uh, it does a lot of the same things that mindfulness and meditation do. There's a lot of overlap in the two, uh, in, in all these different modalities in that, you're tapping into your parasympathetic nervous system, um, focusing on your breathing. I mean, all of almost all of yoga is, hey, focus on your breath, focus on your breath. And and you may not even know it, but if you go to a yoga class, there's a good chance you're going to end up coming out of that having having practiced a form of meditation or a form of mindfulness. Um, and and that as you could do that consistently, your body is going to feel better from the, from the yoga, but your mind will be that much sharper. Your mind is going to feel that much better as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of overlap between all these practices. Yeah. And I can, I can tell you that at least from my own experience, you know, um, even doing yoga that if you do it correctly, you're going to get a good workout. You're going to feel oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're definitely going to feel it. You know, I, I think that, um, 
you know, as we mentioned before, there are individuals that are listening that may be going into the service or those that are currently within the fight and, and those that are just serving on active duty in some capacity who don't understand the benefits of everything that we're talking about and how that can carry them forward. Um, and yet this is something that you've really learned as a discipline that um, you, you now know it's a tool in your toolbox that you've got to, you've got to not only help for yourself, but I appreciate the fact that you're now passing that wisdom on to other people and sharing with them, Hey, listen, this is something that you've got to do. You know, you can do all the rough stuff and everything else, but at some point, you know, you've just got to get good mindfulness, good meditation, work on your breathing techniques and just understand that you got to be more in, um, in tune with your body and everything that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I wish that somebody had, had introduced these practices to me, not just earlier on in my career, but heck back, like back in high school, if, if I had them going into the military, if I had them in high school, I I would have probably been a better athlete. Yeah. So I I was going to say sports. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I remember um, just when I was very young, I mean, little league baseball, my, my dad would be like, hey, before I before I went up to bat, my dad would be like, hey, take a couple of breaths. And I'd be like, whatever, dad. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't do it. But I was like, whatever, old man, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, now, now, and now here I am, I don't know, 10 or 15 years older than he was. So um, anyhow, the 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 breathing and the these practices of mindfulness, meditation, yoga, again, there's so much overlap between them. Um, if you're able to incorporate them in your lives, um, why would you not want to pay them forward? Introduce others to them earlier on so that they can have a, a richer life. Uh, so that's that's why I am doing what I'm doing with Veterans Path, um, because I do fully believe in the transformative properties, transformative abilities of these practices. And I've had I've had friends who have not been introduced to any type of mental health practice and have ended up taking their lives. And, you know, if 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 what it is that I'm doing can help to save a life, whether it's of a friend of mine or whether it's of a a veteran or a family member of a veteran, then if it's one person that we can save, then this is all worth it. Yeah, no doubt. So you've done some work also with Mission Six Zero and Jason uh, Van Camp, who was on this uh, this show in episode two thirty nine. If anybody wants to go back and oh, listen to his story, yeah, two thirty nine. So, that was my buzz class. So. See, yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you've done some stuff with Mission Six Zero. So tell us a little bit about that organization. You mentioned Veterans Path. Kind of give us an idea of both of those two and what they do and how they they're very different in their role. <laughs> they are yes, uh, but, but but again, there's overlap there. So, um, Veterans Path is is more of a uh, a healing organization working to get transitioning service members and veterans back to a sense of fulfillment and and giving them a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's the acronym in our name, Path P A T H, um, and that is done through mindfulness meditation. Um, non nonprofit. Uh, we're, we're living off of donations and fundraisers. So, Hey, uh, quick hey, plug. If, you, if you're good timing, to <laughs> near the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Giving Tuesdays next month. So yeah, if you're looking for it. nonprofits help out, <laughs> but then, uh, mission six zero is, um, I, I won't call them a management and leadership consultant company, but we are consultants that bring our experience from the battlefield to 
high-performing teams to make them even more high-performing. Um, and we do that through uh, the there's the Deliberate Discomfort book that JVC helped write or uh, Mission Six Zero write, wrote. Several of the consultants had part in that. Got the you know you've got Army Rangers, Green Berets, SEALs, uh, uh, Air Force PJs that are all a part of Mission Six Zero. Um, and then there's scientists that are a part of it too. So there's actual data and science to what it is that we're yeah. talking about from the battlefield. And then, uh, and actually spoke to JVC just this weekend or uh, on Monday rather, um, about, um, a, a master's class that he has coming, uh, coming up soon or a, a deliberate discomfort challenge is what he calls it. It's going to be 60 days of, of challenges that are all set around different pillars of becoming a better performer, better person. And, um, I'm, contributing a piece of that with the mindfulness and meditation where we'll actually have a deliberate meditation practice every day through that 60 day challenge. And ultimately you're going to be a better person for having gone through it. Uh, but then on the side, I also, uh, with mission six zero, I do the leadership aspect too. So not just the mindfulness and meditation, but I bring in stories from the battlefield, stories from training, stories from, from life, uh, and and bring that into the, the leadership aspect of the organization. I love what you guys are doing on both those aspects. But if somebody wants to learn more about meditation, breathing techniques and stuff like that, is Better in Path uh, a way that they can do it? Or is there some other way that you would recommend? Yeah, uh, well, if, if you're a if you're a service member um, or a veteran, veteranspath.org, that's our, our website. That's a great place to start. Or you can find us on social media. Um, if you're if you're not, then uh, there's the way that I started. I started with a very simple app, downloaded Insight Timer on my phone, and went through some of the guided meditations there. And I and I highly recommend you start small and start with a very simple meditation, um, not not trying to jump into an hour long meditation because that's that may lead to dis discouragement on your part right. it's like trying to jump into the gym and try to do this really intense crossfit workout or something with never having gone to the gym before right so so i encourage you short start sh short and simple and then and then grow from there but do it consistently again going consistently is going to that's where you're going to get the benefits um those are the apps that or that's one of the apps that i started with but there's tons of them out there um uh, there's the inside timer there's calm there's 10 percent happier there's waking up there's i mean literally hundreds of apps that are out there that that you can learn to meditate and i uh, highly encourage using any of those whatever feels comfortable for you that's uh that's what i recommend awesome. doing something yeah I, I appreciate you coming on the show john and talking about this uh, topic I, it, I, I think it, i i mean it's like so critical right now with all the things that are going on and we've never been at war this long and i think right. it's going to have not only effects today but like you said some people are not going to feel it till many years later um and it's gonna it, it depending upon how they deal with it it, it could even end up causing a lot of issues further down the line and so get a handle on it now, you know, um, understand it now. I love what you mentioned earlier about what the Navy's doing. I hope all branches, if they haven't already, start picking up on some type of, um, you know, training or education process that teaches a lot of what we've just discussed. It's so critical. And it's so critical for everybody who's going through any type of, I mean, hell, with everything that's going on in the world today, 
we all could use a little mindfulness, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> a little breathing would go a long ways, especially, you know, with the election and everything that's going on. Uh, people are, you know, looking, it seems like, for social media to give them the answers. And in fact, what it might be just as a few short minutes of short breathing uh, or breathing techniques to, to center more on yourself and shut off the outside world for a moment. Right. Yeah. And we definitely could all use that. I think uh, it's going to get you more centered. Uh, uh, the kind of the analogy that I use is the snow globe and the, the way that we are every day is just the snow globe that has been shaken up and we can't sort the signal from the noise and the noise from the signal. And what we want to do is put that snow globe down and let the let all the mess settle down and let the few snowflakes that need our attention keep floating around. That's what meditation and mindfulness yoga all this does for us it allows us to be more here be more present in the moment and enjoy a much more rich and fulfilling life i i um have never heard that about the snow globe so that's a new one I, i can tell you that many years ago in a company that i work for we, we started changing the culture of the organization and there was a lot of people that would come to meetings and everything with their, you know, their phones and their laptops and, and ready to actually work while they're supposed to be participating in a meeting, right? In a round table. And um, we started issuing out or the HR department started issuing out signs that would be posted everywhere. And you even had one that was supposed to sit on your desk and it said, be here now. Yeah, and so exactly. we would have to remind people, hey, hey John. You're supposed to be here now, right here, not not there on the laptop, close the laptop, you know, that type of thing. But you laugh because you see it every day, right? Where oh, be- yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I like honestly, I didn't see a whole lot of that in the military because a lot of the spaces that we worked were secure spaces. So you couldn't sure. bring your own laptop. You can yeah. bring your own phone. And then I transitioned, like I mentioned, to the reserve side where a lot of people were able to bring their phones into the non-secure spaces. And I was blown away at how how distracted people are in meetings because of their digital devices that are on them all the time um there's another uh uh member of our, our of our organization her name is janelle mccauley you may you may, may know of janelle she's a retired lieutenant colonel um, pilot combat veteran also mindfulness and meditation expert and she said something to the effect of even if you don't check your phone if you have it on you yeah if you have it on your body you have it on your person, you are 10% less there. You are 10% distracted. Something to that effect. It may, may even be more than that. But she ended up, when she was in command of her Air Force unit, she had people set their cell phones outside and not even bring them into the meetings. And they were there. They were more there yeah. through the meeting. So be here now. I love it. Yeah, we, uh, we actually um, used to have away meetings because you couldn't have them in the same building so if you wanted to have your leadership team or something hold the discussion you know the only way to do that is to to force them to not have their laptops and and their cell phones but also we try to not have it at the same facility because they're more than likely to take a little break act like they're going to take a bathroom break walk out of the meeting and be (laughs) gone for an hour and wonder what happened to sue you know we lost her and uh so i i think that's uh really good um you know advice as well to individuals that we need to do a lot more checking out a lot more breathing a lot more mindfulness and get more close to center because technology is right now sucking the life out of us uh 
So, you know, social media and all that kind of stuff. And I know because I, I'm involved in it probably just as much as you are in trying to, yeah, yeah. to you know, when you own a business, that's something that you've got to do. And right, it's unfortunate right. or fortunate, however you look at it. Uh, but, John, I, I appreciate you again, once again, yeah, coming on. My pleasure. Yeah, Thanks and talking about me, Robert. The, make sure you tell Jason uh, hello for me. I haven't I uh, had a chance to talk with him in some time frame. Uh, I'll continue following you guys and all the great things you're doing, especially at Veterans Path and Mission Six Zero. And I hope some people go Thank out you. there and check you guys out. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.